so much of our alone time is kind of like what's left at the bottom of the barrel. And maybe hanging out with ourselves at that point isn't that fun. Not necessarily that fun when I'm hungover. I'm a bit boring, I'm a bit dry, I'm a bit mm. tired and sloppy. You know, our, we're not giving ourselves our best selves in that. Like, what's it like to hang out with the best version of you? I, I'm not sure I do that with myself that often. Like, I, I don't think I, I don't think I do. You're listening to the Alonement Podcast, hosted by me, Francesca Spector author of Alonement, How to Be Alone, and Absolutely Own It. Each week, I interview an inspiring new guest about the time they spend alone and why it matters to them. Ultimately, at the heart of every episode is one central question. What turns solitude into a positive, fulfilling experience? Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. Welcome to the 10th and final episode of season six. This week's episode is the second of two live recordings I did back to back last month at King's Place in London, marking the first time that alonement has ever been recorded in front of an audience. My guest is Abigail Bergstrom, the literary agent behind some of the biggest best-selling books in the past few years, who has previously been nominated for Agent of the Year. More recently, at the beginning of this year, she published her own debut novel titled What a Shame. It is a beautifully written story which explores everything from heartbreak and healing to the occult. I can testify to loving Abigail's book so much, I read the whole thing in one sitting over the course of an evening. During our conversation, we discussed, among other things, the role that alone time plays in emotional healing and why, despite being a lover of solitude, Abigail will never be taking herself off to a cabin in the woods. I hope you enjoy listening. Before we get to our conversation, I want to give a big shout out to this season's sponsors, Flashpack. Flashpack is a travel company for solo travellers providing boutique group adventures all around the world, from staying on a secret island in the Arctic to glamping on the Serengeti. Its adventures are targeted specifically for solo travellers in their 30s and 40s, so if you feel like you've slightly moved on from staying in hostels with gap year students on your solo trips away, then this is the holiday for you. Much like Alonement, Flashpack is a community built around the power of going solo and their trips are an opportunity to meet like-minded people who share the same independent outlook as you. They're on a mission to create one million meaningful friendships across the world through the power of adventure. And it sounds like it's working. 80% of Flashpackers stay in touch after returning from their trips. If this sounds good to you, head to flashpack.com slash alonement where you'll find an exclusive offer code for all alonement podcast listeners giving you a hundred pounds off your dream adventure abigail thank you so much for being part of this today thank you for having me firstly i'd love to know what alone time means to you um I think it's sort of twofold in a, in a sense, because when I, I have these kind of strong memories that I talk, my, my sisters and I talk about where 
kind of being at university and the first time that we ever left home and my mum kind of calling me and any time that I was alone it was a real like well, what why do, what's Jenny doing tonight uh, what what what's your friend could you not go and, is there anyone that you could go and see and and she really kind of pushed this not consciously but pushed I think her own fear of being alone onto us so I think for a real large part of my life I had similar connotations to it and was really quite terrified by the idea it was seen as something that was bad why are you alone why you know why are you on your own um but then that all changed when I uh moved into a flat on my own for the very first time and it was terrifying (laughs) and exhilarating and one of the most amazing chapters of my life thus far where I really really melted into the beauty of being alone and in one's company and own space and overcame and went through that fear, I think, which made it all the more fruitful at the end, I suppose. Such a beautifully poetic description of a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny how we're conditioned the way that we think about these things. I hmm. came across a piece in The Times the other day. Um, the title was How to Talk to Your Children About Solitude. And I thought that's so great. Because I think that we really do absorb or almost... I don't know. We act to in some ways the way that our parents deal with solitude. Yeah, absolutely. And and I also think it comes down to your kind of what's your situation in terms of siblings as well. Mm. Because if you're an only child, being alone is something that's commonplace and a part of everyday life. Whereas I had two big sisters. So I, I, see, I was seemingly never alone. There was always somebody there, someone to play with, someone to hang out with. Their friends were always around the house. So, it, you know... It was a very social environment and I was kind of reared that way. You know, I came out of the womb and there were two sisters there literally ready to play with me. <laughs> yeah, like an inbuilt social scene. Yeah. And on the uh, on the subject of solitude, theme of the podcast, you uh, you wrote in an Instagram post recently um, ahead of your, your book's release and congratulations because I know it only just came out. Um, what a shame at the beginning. The book title is What a Shame, not a <laughs> <laughs> You wrote ahead of the book's release that uh, writing a book is such a solitary venture. Mm. Uh, and then all of a sudden, whoosh, it's out in the world. And God, it's, I mean, it's a tale of two extremes, isn't it? How, how, did you, uh, how did you navigate that big jump from having this wonderful solitary process of making a book to uh, putting it out there for everyone to see? Yeah, so it... <sighs> there's kind of two ways to approach this as well in the sense that I you know I work as a I run my own publishing consultancy so I work as an agent and I also consult and nurture kind of uh, unpublished aspiring writers and published writers as well so as part of that job you're giving away your creativity all the time you're kind of giving away your ideas and and it's collaboration that's what you do that's the point of you um which I love and it's where I thrive the most but I was I came to the realisation that I was going to dry out if I didn't find a home and a place for creativity that was solely mine. Mm. And so I started writing on a a Saturday morning just for a few hours. And it was just purely this completely joyful space for me to just sit and write. And it meant nothing. It was going nowhere. No one was ever going to see it. It was just for me. And after a while, I was like, okay, there's some themes here. There's some reoccurring things that you're talking about. And, and actually, maybe if you piece this together, there could be a bigger story here. Maybe this could be a novel. And But I never, I didn't tell anyone. 
I didn't tell any of my friends. I had a very, very demanding job running a literary agency representing 50 plus clients internationally. My Monday through Friday was maxed. So I only could write on weekends, which meant that I became less and less social. And I really felt this pressure from friends of, you know, why are you leaving the pub early on Friday night? I was leaving early because I didn't want to be hungover. I wanted to get up and write my novel. And, you know, why wouldn't you commit to any brunch plans? Why wouldn't you, you know, and there was this real sort of resistance to my, to my solitude. Um, so it, it was a, it was a, it was an interesting process in that sense that when I came to tell people that was what I was doing and when my book eventually came out into the world, and I think all writers have this, you know, it, it, no one knows the story, the character, what's going on. It could be a load of, you know, huffle puffle crap. No one knows, mm-hmm. least of all you. And to have someone read your book and be able to talk to you about a scene or a character they related to or, or something is, is magical, but it's intense. Because no one knows. And then suddenly, everyone fucking knows. Like, it's out in the world. And it's there's no boundary. There's no, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's extreme, that changeover. It's beautiful because I love talking about my book with people, but... It can be quite scary and exposing, I think. Mm, mm. I suppose exposing in a different way to um, to nonfiction because nonfiction is kind of quite transparent from what you've exposed about your own life. Mm. Um, fiction, not so much because I suppose there's that thing where everyone sort of thinks the characters maybe based on them, but not sure, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not quite sure actually what you've given of yourself and what you haven't. Yeah, what you've sort of appropriated from somewhere else or another story. Yeah, I think there's always parts of ourselves in our in our books you know it we're almost like our experiences are almost the toolkit in in a sense in essence I feel when I'm writing fiction if I'm trying to tap into a traumatic or painful moment I'm going back to the well of myself when I've understood and had those painful traumatic moments they might not mirror that of my characters but I think that's where I go to to draw that emotion and feeling out that it feels authentic and it feels um real but it's that can be quite heavy as well um to access yourself in that way and I don't know if every writer approaches it like that maybe some some don't but I often find when I'm writing uh my characters stories that I feel very drained and exhausted afterwards especially emotionally you know I can go into a very kind of harrowing and sorrow state about something that's nothing to do with me it's a story that I've made up but I can't shake off that emotion because I went there 
to, to get it on the page. It's fascinating. I think that, you know, something very magical about the process of writing a novel. Um, something very almost... It's horrible. I've just started my second one. It's horrible. <laughs> horrible, but, um, well, thank you. <laughs> for anyone who hasn't yet read um, Abigail's book, it's absolutely... Absolutely wonderful. And, and one of the things that I found so amazing about it was your character goes on such a healing journey. Uh, and, you know, we feel so invested and part of that. Um, and there's almost a sort of inherent critique of, um, and, you know, not, not necessarily a critique, but definitely an ambivalence about the healing practices that she, she goes through. So, mm. you know, just to give context, um, to those listening, um, you know, you talk about uh, kind of ritual baths um, and, you know, psychedelic potions um, and those sort of more, you know, extreme things. Um, there's also um, a, and I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but I, an ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, yeah. Ayahuasca ceremony, yeah, which um, sounds pretty hardcore. Um, and, and, and tarot, tarot card reading. Uh-huh. Um, towards the end, she comes to the conclusion that you know, it's not really, it's not really about these specific practices, but it is about committing yourself to that journey of healing, um, even though it doesn't straightforwardly condemn them. What was, what was important to you about that, having that sort of ambivalence in the book about things that, you know, are pretty popular, we're all getting more into our Zodiac and our tarot readings and things like that? Yeah, uh, well, it's a good question, but also that's a really lovely reading of it, I think. So just, for a little bit of context, Matilda, the protagonist, is in a kind of unbearable state of grief in her life. A parent has just died. Uh, her boyfriend has just walked out on her very, very suddenly. And time's sort of gone by where people around her are a bit like, okay, we know you're sad, but it's time to kind of move on. And she's sort of stuck, you know, in that way that sometimes people kind of move on with their lives and carry on going forward, but she just can't, she can't. She's kind of stuck in this cloud of overwhelming grief and her friends uh, sort of push her into these various, you know, the modern day zeitgeist of spirituality, these different remedies and new age rituals to, to try and help her heal herself or for them just like, you know, what is going on with you and, and how are you going to overcome this? Um and I think in the books, a lot of people say to me, like, why didn't you do therapy? <laughs> like, why didn't you, why wasn't therapy the strand of how she unearths this dark trauma uh, that she's been carrying kind of unconsciously through her life? Um, but there is something, I think, that's quite tacky and sticky around this zeitgeisty modern day relationship with spirituality. And on one hand, it's kind of amazing because these things are, you know, they're, pre-Egyptian times, they're happening within, um, you know, uh, Amazonian tribes for thousands and thousands of years. They're tale as old as time. They're around the fire, kind of remedies and methods. And they're still here with us today. We're still talking about them. We're still turning to them and using them. But on the other hand, um, there's something quite uncomfortable about the kind of Mercury and retrograde memes and the kind of moon apps and the the way that we kind of uh, use them for our own individual self-development as opposed for the wider community and what they were intended for or even the communities that they they stem from. So, so I think that was definitely something that the book was trying to look at and question 
um, not giving any answers, but Matilda was a great character to write because she's really sceptical about fakey and all the rest of it. You know, she's kind of like, I'm not so sure about this. Um, and I also think embedded in these things. So as an example, you know, ayahuasca, it's, it's a, you know, the world's most mind altering hallucinogenic brew. It's, and some people see that as, uh, breaking into a new realm of consciousness and having this incredible spiritual intervention. And other people are like, well, you just put a load of drugs in your body. So obviously something's going to happen. And that's what's going on. And similarly with tarot readings, you know, I, I had a secular tarot reading when I was researching for the book and it was, just as powerful or incredible as a reading that could have been given with some psychic attachment that my spiritual guides were intervening and, and, and offering messages um, on what I should be doing or what direction should I be going. So I think there's that, you know, are these things psychosomatic? Is there a placebo involved? But ultimately, if they can help us come to terms with some whatever pain or the injustices of the world and make life more tolerable, to what extent does it really matter? There's an interesting overlap, I suppose, also in the idea of solitude, because many of the practices that she does, mm -hmm. um, you know, particularly that uh, healing bath, uh, I think she does a, a week, uh, week long process of them, mm -hmm. uh, which is such a pivotal moment in the book that does also sound like a very beautifully solitary process of mm -hmm. healing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think these methods are in part done in solitude that the, the 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 banishing bar certainly is i think the intention in the book from her friends that are the kind of people that are pushing her or leading her into these these things um is to make matilda look inwards mm. and kind of go into herself and that's what happens right when we are when we're solitary and when we are quiet with ourselves we're able to go inwards we're able to access and i think women are so distracted from themselves all of the time by patriarchal structures by one homogenous idea of femininity and what a woman should be and all of the eloquent and amazing things that you just talked about and I think that's deliberate I don't think that's a secret or surprise and I think there's great power in being in solitude with oneself mm. what was interesting I think people see this dichotomy between being alone and that, that that's something you almost need to get to by yourself that process of like enjoying solitude but quite often it's through say a therapist or or through friends that you're able to then go on and appreciate aloneness I know that my book would not on aloneness would not exist if not for one rainy November night with two of my best friends mm -hmm. where you know I was able to talk through the concept and 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 have that process of collaboration and togetherness mm -hmm. your character's friends almost lead her to her own inward lookingness mm -hmm. what do you think the relationship is there in terms of like being able to almost facilitate each other's aloneness I think that's a beautiful and problematic thing isn't it because ultimately we want so much from the people that are in our lives and the people that we love and that we care about and in order to motivate them to be in solitude could potentially be quite a contradictory thing you know it's circling hey folks i'm mark Marin from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Back to writing the book and the kind of what I got from my friends, the kind of response of like, why are you, why are you withdrawing? Like, what's really going on here? And then it was okay when I came clean and said, well, I, I'm writing a novel. Ah, oh, okay, this all makes sense now, this is fine. But I don't think it would have been if I was just being alone, nothing, just having more fun hanging out with me. I'm not sure they would have been so um, accepting and supportive and in thinking about, you know, your podcast and your book, there seems to be a tension or a question between this idea of solitude and this idea of alonement in the sense of um, if I'm writing a book, and, I, and I'm speaking as somebody who um, had very severe burnout and had to take a, a half a year off work and made myself very sick through overproductivity and doing, doing, being, being, out, out, out. Is writing that book true alignment or is it also a state of productivity and achievement and something that I can hang my hat on and feel good about myself? And actually, if I were to spend that time just truly being in solitude, hmm. like how, how are those two things different? How are those two things sitting side by side? Because alignment is this kind of beautiful you know, beautiful thing and spending your alone time while swimming or, you know, what, what have you, but being in solitude and not looking for those distractions. I always think of living on my own and writing my book as a time of great solitude and great looking inwards and personal growth. And to an extent it was, but also it was a, it was a moment of trying to achieve something and gain something. And so there's other things that are in that, that are external, that to me don't feel like the true deep, you know, Henry uh, through <laughs> I went into the woods um solitude 
Yeah, I mean, look, people always bring up Henry Thoreau. He may have been in that cabin in the woods, but I will bet you that his wife was in the cabin adjacent to him oh. making his meals. And you know, I, I would bet good money on that because I didn't think that many of these sort of, you know, male solitary figures that, you know, blowing the flag for so long. Really, I agree. Really living true alonements. <laughs> I, lo- I, I love the, the quote, though, of, of to go into the woods to live deliberately. But on the flip side of that, Virginia Woolf, A Room of One's Own, when she talks about aloneness and she says, no need to hurry, no need to sparkle, no need to be anyone but oneself. And I think that just really, for me, is the epitome of aloneness. Yeah. I suppose quite often when I'm asking the people about you know, what is your alonement it effectively, and not to weigh this question too much when I ask you it later, but, you know, it, it's effectively asking who are you when no one's around? Who, who are you? You know, yeah. who, do you, who are you when you're not performing, uh, you know, whoever for someone else? Yeah. And I suppose that maybe gets to the pureness of what it can be. I think that's gorgeous because I think so often in the modern day 21st century, our alone time is when we're hungover or when we're exhausted from the week or when we're, you know, our alone, our alone time isn't like, oh, I feel great today and I'm going to go and, you know, sometimes it is, but we have to plan and work hard for that time, especially as women. We really need to defend and carve that time out for ourselves. And that's, that's really tough. So much of our alone time is kind of like what's left at the bottom of the barrel and maybe hanging out with ourselves at that point isn't that fun. Not necessarily that fun when I'm hungover. I'm a bit boring, I'm a bit dry, I'm a bit mm. tired and sloppy. You know, our, we're not giving ourselves our best selves in that. Like, what's it like to hang out with the best version of you? I, I'm not sure I do that with myself that often. Like, I, I don't think I, I don't think I do. Mm. I think it's so good to identify, especially because I always think, you know, when I, the advice I give to people when they're planning out their first solitude date or you know, quality solo break, um, it's what would you do if you were planning this for someone that you really love? If you were planning a date night with your partner or planning a holiday with someone you're really excited about, you probably wouldn't turn up hungover. And yet, as you say, that's so often what we end up doing. Yeah, and there's so much shame embedded in female aloneness. The entire narrative is constructed around finding a, a man. Um, that's where our value is based, you know, from... Mark Darcy to Mr. Darcy. Like, that's the toxic kind of, that's the line. And I think it's hard to, we've been coded in that way to place our value and our worth in that, in that sort of endpoint of external validation from the patriarch. And it takes a lot of undoing to pull that into question and to find that value back in yourself to make that time and effort for yourself. And you've, um, brought me on actually to um, a line in your book uh, towards the end you say um, there's a shame in being alone uh, and we're taught that we're better with a man um, <laughs> a woman drinking from a well of joy brought by her own company can you imagine to what extent do you think solitude is a feminist issue I think it's hugely a feminist issue I think you know, as I said earlier, I, d- I don't think there's any surprise that we're kept distracted from ourselves. Like even the basic things like getting our nails done and going to have a bikini wax and blah, 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 blah. It's also time consuming. 
And it's like everywhere, all the time, you need to do this. We're, we're constantly trying to strive for this idea that's projected at us, consciously or not, unfortunately, in advertising, in media, in the things that we're scrolling through and the things that we're, we're watching on our screens. And it's like impossible and inescapable. And I just think to withdraw and go into oneself and to quiet that noise is becoming more and more and more essential for sanity, <laughs> for mental health, but also just to understand like what the hell it is that we really care about and what we really stand for because people are literally buying and paying for our attention spans, for our time to answer those questions for us. And the answer lies in lack and not being enough so that we buy stuff, so that we do stuff. And that's terrifying, right? Again, it kind of circles back to the algorithm that we're all victim to. So I think being alone, being in solitude is a feminist act. Mm. And I think even within that, I was, uh, I was painting my nails the other day. And <laughs> it occurred to me that that is a big part of how I spend alone time or, you know, the quality time I have. It's <laughs> sort of, you know, making myself look good. But, and, you know, look, I have another justification for it in that I'll probably bite my nails to shreds if uh, if I don't have the, have the gel polish on. But... There is almost a compromising. I kind of there's a there's a contradiction which I haven't quite come to terms with in and of myself. That that time alone would be spent working on my performance for when I'm out in the world again. And I suppose if we're taking it back to the idea of your alone time being, you know, who you are when no one else is around, or that coming back to the essence of you, it gets it gets more complicated. You know, this isn't. This isn't necessarily a question. I think it's more, it's interesting how ever since I began talking about this topic, it's a can of worms. There's more and more to it. And I think, thank you for opening up that feminist conversation around aloneness and solitude, because honestly, it's not something that 55 guests in, I'd even put that much thought to. So thank you. There's also a completion I think, of uh, alone and single, mm -hmm. um, which uh, is obvious to me from the sheer amount of people that ask me if my podcast and book means that I have to be single forever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, that's not the case, but there is a sort of overlap. Again, you know, we discussed it before where alone and single do become states that do coincide I yeah. I wrote my book after a breakup which mm. meant because of the way it reshuffled my life a lot more time by myself it meant I was living alone uh, things like that um and interestingly I, I know that you're in a relationship now um and yet your your book ends with um your protagonist um even in the face of a you know frankly great sounding candidate Archie um he does sound great he does sound great yeah he's great he sh head, she should go yeah. back to him book two book two <laughs> but um but she chooses to spend a period of time single uh rather than yeah rather than get together with him and she, and she says that's for healing and and self growth mm -hmm. and um this is a trend I'm noticing as well you know even in the new season of love is blind uh, which I haven't seen but I'm told there is a narrative around choosing to be single I've seen it. yeah yeah okay so really we've got the full context here yeah so why is this important to be put across? Well, firstly, touching on what you said earlier and kind of being now in a relationship, I 
happen to have stumbled into a relationship with a man who literally books a cabin on the side of a mountain and vanishes for a week at a time. Oh, God, it's a surname through. <laughs> it's not. Uh, but it's, I, like, even now, you know, we own a, a house together. We have a dog. We have a life. Even now, there is something in me that's like... <sighs> Inviting me on the trip. Oh, I'm not going on this fine. Absolutely fine. Actually, I'm going to really enjoy being alone. Yeah, for a week. That's what I wanted. I've been wanting more of that. But it's so it's so cute, you know, to hear you say, you know, talk about that with earlier relationships. And certainly, you know, in my relationship, that's still something that, which in itself is really, really interesting, right? Like, what's our resistance to somebody having that alone time? Like, he's not. He's literally in a wood cabin on the... It's snowing. There's nowhere for him to go. You know, I'm not worried that he's going to fall in love with a with a better version of whatever. It, it, it just... But it's uncomfortable. And I think that, like, that is so inbuilt with what your book is addressing and this kind of societal, like, oh, what's happening there? We just... that There's a discomfort. Um... I just had to say that, but I've totally forgotten the question that you've actually asked me. <laughs> no worries. I really enjoyed the, ca- um, the, the tangent. And it does also... Um, uh, it was a completely different tangent, actually. I'll, I'll branch it back to the question okay. in a second. Thank God you're it, here. <laughs> I got the question list. No, it does remind me of a really lovely um, quote by the, the poet um, Raina Maria Rilke, uh, which is, you know, love is being the custodian of each other's solitude. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it's, it's easier said than done in a way. Um, and I don't know, having, and you know, because... You know, for context, I've had a complete lobotomy. I, you know, I went from being a person in a very codependent relationship, okay. and that was the only way I could be in a relationship, to um, to seeking my man who wants to go to a cabin in the woods. But you know, that'd be a mutually agreeable mm. arrangement. It is a beautiful um, thing, but it's still <laughs> well, unearths this feeling of, oh, but why don't you want me to come? It does. It does, <laughs> and, and, and I think it's so impossible to be immune to that. It's yes. really, it's really, really hard. And I think that it's like it's still a problem. We're pack um, animals, ultimately. We are pack animals. And I think, um, how do I put this? It's a problem. It's just, it's just another problem. And I think it's a lesser, a less socially acceptable problem. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the kind of, it's the classic, like, you know, oh, where's your partner when you're at a wedding? But okay for your partner to be with you, but you're sort of snapping at each other all night. That could be a, yeah. you know, that, that, that would be a sort of more socially acceptable way than you just not being together. I yeah. guess, I guess it's, I guess it's interesting because, for me, aloneness, it seems like the less socially acceptable way to be. And yeah, I think it's just a whole other, it's a whole other obstacle. It's not a solution. It's a whole other obstacle. And so thank you for being so honest about that. Well, yeah, it it actually works in practice. It makes for a healthier relationship. You know, it, he comes back down the mountain and he gets home and I'm like, oh, everything about you is great. You're not annoying (laughs) anymore. And you know, it's, it, it, it adds to that. It makes us better mm. as a couple to have those, you know, trips and things apart. And we're both very focused on, you know, I do, I do do the same, but, um, yeah, it's that being apart is enriching and necessary, I think, to mm. sustain a truly healthy relationship. Yeah. But, it, but it's still, um, it's still great. So the, the pack animal parts inside of us. And I think that yeah. it's so important to, acknowledge that that it's not black and white it's not one or the other no and go there and be like oh what's this uncomfortable feeling okay like sit with that Mm. lean into that go you know go go there because it's you know ultimately stemming and unraveling from something historic in your past it's nothing to do with this person Mm. 
Well, if you, if you find the answer, do, do share it with us at a later date. I think that it's um, probably something, again, that, you know, especially many listeners as well who are looking for that in a relationship are probably still trying to navigate as well. It just goes. I don't get saying it. <laughs> <laughs> just dial it out. <laughs> so uh, to wrench it back to the uh, the question about, <laughs> about being single um, as well, um, that's, that's something which has become increasingly like not the anti happy happily ever after, but the the alternative version of happily ever after, which yeah. means choosing to be single at the end of the narrative. Why is that important to be shown in? Well, because in fiction, it's in non-fiction, completely underserved. You know, the end goal. I mean, in the book, Matilda has this intergenerational friendship with a, an older woman in her eighties called Constance, and it, it was one of my favorite friendships to write. And Constance sort of says to her, like, the, the end goal can't be getting a man. Like, it just, you'll be so unsatisfied and disappointed by life if that is your end goal. And I think, I think that's the truth. And I think that the happily ever narrative, you know, the happily ever, nar- oh, the happily ever after narrative. See, I'm decoding myself. I can't even say it anymore. But like that chip, you know, we were raised or, you know, certainly my age, I'm 33 and raised in a time of Thatcher and Disney movies. It was all about the happily ever after. It was all about the Prince Charming and getting the guy. And, oh, my mind's blown by uncool girl, how to go in 10 days. Like, I, <laughs> I do love that film. And now I'm like, oh, my God. I just, it's been completely uh, re-shown to me in a way that I can't unsee. And, I, and so for me, it was always, always, always going to end with my protagonist finding and falling in love with themselves, not with another man or woman. It was about them coming home to themselves because Matilda is constantly trying to escape and look the other way from herself because there's a part that's so ugly, quote unquote, or so deeply shameful to her that she just cannot bear to be with it. And I think that is something that all of us, men and women, all of us have that. You know, her her experience is severe to it to kind of explore those issues, but I think it's universal, and that was why it was the resolve and the the salve was never going to be a man; it was going to be herself. And talking of that beautifully unique, I think way of putting it, actually, that coming home to yourself. What does that look like for you? What's what's your alignment? My friend, my very good friend Catherine has this thing which she calls it making love to the home. <laughs> and it's that kind of day where like the house is clean and the toothbrushes are where they should be and there's flowers on the nightstand and the sun's coming through it. You know, the house is tidy and you're in your own space. And you just sort of pop out and buy the papers and you come home and you make a cup of tea and you read your book. It's like, for me, the real bliss of, of alonement is being in my own space. And it and it's just bliss. We're extending that home metaphor then. Yeah, very, quite literally. In the home. Thank you very much. Thank you, both of you. This has been wonderful. And thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening both to this episode and to all the others that came before it. 
Your support for the show means everything. I've loved recording this and hearing all your feedback and I can't wait to start making more episodes. In the meantime, keep in touch on social media. It always makes my day to hear from listeners and do share these episodes with anyone you think would benefit. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.